Hey friends. So the uh, board here at the Nowata Methodist Church chose to take a vote to potentially join the Global Methodist Church. Uh, thousands of churches have already made such a decision and we're actually kind of late to the game. But we wanted to take our time and so we looked at some other options and this seems to be the best fit for right now. We're going to take uh, an official vote a week from Sunday, I think. I should I should confirm that. Anyway, I uh, big things happening here. Just kind of an invitation for you to know how to pray for us. We've been um, now with respect to this podcast. Uh, we've been going through First Corinthians for several weeks now. We actually had to take two weeks on chapter seven because there was so much there. This is chapter twelve. This is the setup to the love chapter. But 12 is really pretty important because this is where he does the book of the talking about spiritual gifts in particular, speaking in tongues, but he does so in order to kind of demote, yeah, demote speaking in tongues and prioritize other gifts that are of more direct benefit to the church. This is undergirded by a theology that is kind of repugnant to our present era, which is the central role that the church plays in the lives of believers. We live in an age right now that wants to believe that the church is somehow optional or not necessarily very directly tied to the spiritual well-being of any individual believer. It's just not what you find whenever you look in your Bible. You find the church is actually very essential, really. I was going to say important, but it's more than that. It's more than important. It's essential for a healthy spiritual life. And so is the Holy Spirit, which, of course, is the source of these gifts. And so we spent significant time talking about the nature of these gifts. Uh, I could have talked a lot longer. I, I read a lot. And of course, or maybe not of course for you, I, I'm I'm further away from the charismatic expressions of Christianity than a lot of Methodists. This is one of the things that a lot of Methodists are currently trying to reclaim, and it's kind of foreign to the tradition I grew up in. And as much as I know the Holy Spirit is absolutely needed for salvation, for personal knowledge of who Christ is, for, heck, even true conversion and salvation, I'm constantly just skeptical of the excesses of the charismatic tradition. And so I actually think Paul, the author of 1 Corinthians, kind of stands in line with me in some ways and then corrects me in other ways. It's been good for me to read in depth what this text means and is about. Anyway, I don't come to any kind of conclusive place with respect to spiritual gifts that is unique and earth-shattering. Rather, this is just a meditation on the plain meaning of this, the text, which I, I think is the most valuable use of our time anyway. But um, I have been reading a, a pretty decent quality um, commentary alongside all of this, which has been a real joy for me personally, and I'd like to think for the people who are joining me as well. So I, I do hope this is edifying for you. I hope it's encouraging. I hope if... Um, you haven't put much stock in spiritual giftings that you're caused to reconsider that. If you have been the opposite and you've put way too much stock in tongues and not enough in some of the other spiritual giftings, then this is a chance to uh, step back and reconsider why 
you feel so strongly about that and the others might be more foreign. So uh, with that in mind, uh, let's just get right into it. I hope you enjoy the message from this last Sunday. Blessings. Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Now, 1 Corinthians covers a large amount of topics, but it's all under the rubric of the general correction that he's offering, and that is that the Corinthians have felt like they're quite advanced. He corrected them in how advanced they thought that they were in wisdom in the very beginning, right? He said, you think that you are teachers, but you're still learners. You think that you are adults, but you're still babies. You remember him humbling them like that? He's corrected them on how we covered last week, how they have the Lord's Supper, The way that they're doing it conveys selfishness rather than selflessness, a concern for themselves and their own appetites rather than the poor in their midst. He's talked about the way in which they eat just more broadly, what, what they eat being an expression of faithlessness and a lack of concern for the way that their behavior is impacting others. You start to notice themes coming up, and you don't have to be very insightful because he points it out to you. He says in the context of food sacrifice to idols, if anything that I'm doing is causing another believer to stumble, I will never do it again. He has corrected them on them claiming to have rights sexually, to be liberated. And he said, no, you were bought at a price. And you might think that you're free, but actually you are bound to Christ as his slave and to his people as a family member. And he is going to continue that theme through here. What he's already established, to be very clear, is if you are truly a believer, and if if this is truly a church, then individual people are not motivated by what you think, what you feel, what you want. Rather, if you are in Christ, your primary concern is what glorifies God and what benefits my brothers and sisters here. I am an afterthought. That doesn't mean I don't exist or matter. That means that the center of my life is no longer me, it's God and others. And this, of course, maps on very easily to Jesus, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We remember these things. This this message of the gospel, it's not different when Paul preaches it, when Peter preaches it, when Jesus preaches it. Rather, the Bible has one single message one single way of life it calls us to. And one of the confusing things is at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, he says, I call you all to have the same mind that was in Christ, to believe the same thing, to confess the same thing. One might get the impression we're all supposed to be exactly the same. So in this chapter, he's going to correct that while still maintaining this ethos of being focused on others. What, be, what comes about out of this is, One of the ways the Corinthians are quite full of themselves is they are certain that the Holy Spirit is just really active in their community because a lot of them can speak in tongues. And we're not, in this case, talking about speaking in another human language that can be understood. Rather, they're either speaking in the tongues of angels, the languages of angels, or it's gobbledygook. 
One of the two. There's, there's, there's baptism of the Spirit, and then there's baptism of the Spirit. You know, and that's, that's fakers. And they've always been there from the beginning. But they're pretty full of themselves, and Paul is going to humble them again. So time and time again, he goes through this whole letter and just humbles them. So if the conclusion we come to is that speaking in tongues is not a thing, we're reading it wrong. It's clearly a thing. It's, it's clearly verified. Through. But one of the other things that becomes clear is it's one gift among many gifts, and it's not very important. You know, he, he doesn't exactly rank them, but you'll notice at the end of every list is speaking in tongues. It's just not that important. Because what gives these things importance, and we'll come back in two weeks in chapter 14, is how much do they benefit others, not yourself? Let's dive in. Chapter 12. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers, you see how Spirit is capitalized there? The notion is the Holy Spirit is pouring himself out on the assembly and giving gifts. I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans... Somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Spirit. Now, that's always bothered me in, in verse 3, because how many people say, Jesus is Lord, and don't really mean it? You know? Jesus himself says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, on the Day of Judgment, people will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, let us in. Did we not do these things for you? And I say, I never knew you. Get away from me. Because for him, he says, it's about obedience. If you obeyed me, then I know you. But if you didn't obey me, you're a stranger to me. That's, that's me and my hick words summing up what Jesus says there. But similarly, if so, well, I mean, it seems pretty clear. If someone curses Jesus, yeah, they are not in Christ Jesus. That seems self-evident, doesn't it? But what's, he's, he almost makes it sound like a magical incantation, or a shibboleth, I guess, like, can you say Jesus is Lord? Oh, you're a holy one. That's, that's kind of silly. That's not how this works. I think you have to have kind of a broader interpretation here of, does your life reflect a love of Christ Jesus, an acknowledgement of him as Lord? If so, that's only given by the Holy Spirit. If your life conveys a hatred and cursing of Christ Jesus, it's because you're not in Christ Jesus. So if there's someone in the church whose life doesn't glorify Jesus, well, they might say Jesus is Lord, but they are children of the evil one. The starting point here is, you know you used to be pagans and you used to worship dumb idols. How would that make them feel? One, it should humble them. Y'all were dumb. You worshiped idols and you thought that they were gods. Now, we know that there are true principalities and powers those idols point to. And he's saying, you used to worship them, didn't you? You used to do pagan worship. And I think the inference he's making here, I'm not saying with 100%, I'm saying with 50% certainty. He's saying, the way that you're participating in worshiping Jesus now is informed by the way that you used to worship these other fake gods, and that is not good. Other religions, false religions, worshiping false gods, also practice speaking in tongues. We know this for a fact. They also believed in supernatural powers animating the community. We know this for a fact. And so what Paul is going to lift up here is not that there is real power in the church of Christ and there's no power and they're just imagining things outside of it. He's going to say the way that you use these powers indicates what powers you actually serve and know. Are you using these powers for your own glory, your own satisfaction, or for the building up of others in the body? 
That's going to be the thing that he proposes. And the thing that's unique about Christianity is we use what we have for the benefit of others, not for ourselves. Do I sound repetitive yet? A little bit. That's good, good preachers have to repeat themselves. I'm not a good preacher. Never mind. Let's shut up. All right, verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, in everyone, it is the same God at work. So he's contradistinguishing Christianity from other faiths. So remember, the the ancient uh, Roman landscape, there are all kinds of different gods that give different gifts, right? So in in Corinth, they had the cult of Asclepius. I I never pronounced that right. But he was the one who had different healing uh, abilities, so he would grant healing. Apollo would grant skills in war. Um, Adonis would grant beauty. You would come to these different gods for different gifts. He's saying, nope, there's only one true God, but he gives different gifts. That's what he's talking about here. Verse 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. You hear that? So you should get two things out of this. If you are a member of the body of Christ... God is giving you spiritual gifts, but they're not for you. Who are they for? The others, for the common good. So God, the source, is giving many gifts to all of us for the sake of each other. Verse 8, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith, by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits. I don't think I'll come back to this, but I actually think that that's the gift that the Holy Spirit has given me. And I've seen evidence of that over the years. Um, To another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. End of list, he puts at the back end the thing that they're proudest of. The inference being that they are majoring in the minors. Verse 11, all of these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes to them each one just as he determines. So does God make mistakes with who he gives gifts to? No, God has done it exactly how he means to. So you might feel that you've been given a gift, but you're going, oh, no, Lord, not for me. Yes, for you. There are other people that, well, we're not going to talk about that. Okay, verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts are, form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Anyone in here who was baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit has been baptized by the Holy Spirit, it says. To form one body, not to be your own individual lone wolf Christian somewhere else, but to be an active and active member of the body of Christ. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, these are the lines that divided people in the ancient context. The middle wall has been broken down. There is no division. And we were all given one spirit to drink. The, the Greek verb there actually means to be drenched in. That's our right relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's not to take little sippets every now and again out of the little communion thing, little shots of the Holy Spirit every now and again. It's to be drenched in, to be filled by. 
dangerous thing to talk about taking shots in a Methodist community. Verse 14, even so the body is not make, made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. The inference here is that there has been in this community this notion that some people are not full Christians or highest ranking Christians because they're not speaking in tongues. You know, so even in modern day Pentecostalism, there's a notion that, okay, there are basic Christians that have been baptized in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, but there's a second baptism where you get to speak in tongues and that's when you're really a Christian. Shut up. Now, that's not to say that speaking in tongues doesn't matter. Well, in, in the sense that ranking of Christians, it is absolutely irrelevant. Yes, it does not matter. So they come up with this notion where there's baseline Christians and then there's super Christians. That is not a biblical category. You're either in Christ or you're out of Christ, and that's it. Some who are in Christ get speaking in tongues. Some get these other gifts. This, by the way, this list he gave is not a comprehensive list. There are lots of gifts. He has other lists in other places that don't correspond with this. The Holy Spirit gives maybe thousands, maybe millions of gifts. We don't get to put a cap on it and system it. You know, some people, oh, uh, there's words of knowledge and they operate this way and there's words of faith and they operate. You're, you're missing the point. The point is the Holy Spirit gives lots of gifts. Are you using them correctly? The, the question is not, is God giving me gifts? It's God has given me gifts. How can I use them for his glory and for the benefit of others? We humans are so amazing at completely missing the point, are we not? The point being, am I using what God has given me for his glory and for the benefit of my brothers? Are we? No, we're not in 15. Okay, so this foot cannot say to the, uh, I'm not a hand, so I don't belong to the body. You can't say, well, I can't speak in tongues, so I, I'm not a real Christian, or I'm not, I can't preach, so you know, I guess I'm not called to do anything in the church. I mean, th these are things that you can apply in lots of different ways. Every single person who, are, who is in Christ is called to serve and be active in building up the body. That's something that I hope I repeat several times today and then in a couple weeks. There is no such thing as someone who's in Christ and gets to sit and not build up the body. That, is, that makes no sense. You know what kind of thing in your body doesn't contribute to the body at all? Cancer. And cancer can sit and just take up space, or it can metastasize and ruin everything. And that's what happens with members of the body, people who are in Christ, but don't build up the body. Don't contribute. We're not called to just take up space. We're called to serve. And I don't say that as, you know, serve and do things for me. It's you are not happy in Christ unless you are serving. There, the nature of a Christian is to do, is to serve, is to build, is to order. You are estranged from yourself in Christ if you are not building up the body and serving with gladness and serving others and glorifying God. This is, this is in our, every single person has it in their DNA. The question is how? How am I called to be different and do this? Verse 16 and if the ears should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed in the body, placed the parts in the body, just 
every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So, is speaking in tongues a thing? Yes. And actually, it does do something for the body when done in the right way. Some of us are probably called to speak in tongues as long as some of us others are called to interpret tongues. We'll talk about this in a couple weeks. But there are a lot of other spiritual gifts, and we're all called to share in them for the sake of the body. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That means you can't do without them. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. So I didn't know this, but Paul was not the first to use this metaphor of a body when it comes to a group of people. In and about the same time, there was a workers' revolt. And the head of the government at that time, I forget his first name, the second name was Agrippa. It wasn't Herod Agrippa, it was another Agrippa. He gave a public address to these rebels saying, hey, all of us together are like a big body, a big organism. And we all need one another because the, the, the workers had been saying, hey, we don't need these rich people telling us what to do. We're the ones doing the work. We create the wealth. We should just cut them out of it and do our own thing. And then the answer here was, no, 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 no. We're all connected to each other. And, you know, you guys are the arms and legs doing the hard work. You need the head and the stomach. We all need each other. So you guys get back to work. Do your bad job that you don't enjoy because we all need one another. Paul is doing something like that here. But he's saying, okay, the, the things that have less respect are actually worthy of greater honor. So, yes, we're all connected. We're inclined to give glory to some parts and not others. And that means that because Christ is our Lord, we give glory to those ones that the world looks at as not respectable. That we share the concerns of those less privileged, less appreciated parts. You ever, anybody here, don't raise your hand, ever feel unappreciated? One of the really sad things about people serving the church is sometimes churches have a way of not appreciating the people who do all the hard work, that carry the big loads. You know what I'm talking about? If there's any organization, any group of people ever who should be showing appreciation for those doing the hard work nobody ever wants to do, it should be the church, shouldn't it? There are people like that in this community that carry heavy loads that nobody else wants to. If you haven't, you should learn about who they are and make point to thank them. Nobody asked me to say this this morning, but a church that doesn't thank the people doing the jobs nobody else wants to do is a church that should close its doors because it's not a church. A church values the least of these. Amen. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. So is that to say that some parts that are hoity-toity are just worth nothing and we need to get rid of them? No, everybody is of equal worth. But that means that we intentionally need to show more consideration for those who are disrespected by the world. Verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So 
That's why I wanted to bring up Bud's business. I wanted everybody to rejoice with him. That's why Christy wanted to share her business. She wants everybody to rejoice with her. But that's also why we've prayed earnestly for members that are suffering. It's because we bear our burdens. We bear each other's burdens, don't we? That's the whole point here. So I get kind of mad when people say, oh, I was really suffering, but I didn't bring it to church because, you know, I just didn't want to burden anybody. And I have to go, uh, that's the whole point. We're, we're bearing each other's burdens. You didn't let the church be the church. So that's why I tell everybody your business. It's because I'm trying to let this actually be a church and not a farce. If we don't bear each other's burdens, we're just playing church. I don't like, I, don't, I grew up, I don't make pretend. I, I want to do real church here. Anybody else here want to do real church? Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. See how it came at the tail end there again? Are all apostles? What's the answer? No. Are all of us prophets? No. We can all prophesy. We all have the Holy Spirit. Even so, not all of us are continually spouting prophecy. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet, I will show you a more excellent way. So, that's what we'll do next week. We're going to talk about the more excellent way that is far beyond these spiritual gifts. We get so caught up about these spiritual gifts and don't realize they're pointing towards something. They're leading us towards something greater. We get stuck in the, the, the phenomena, the outworkings of things, not even realizing we're supposed to be concerned with the noumena, the essence of things that generates that. And so that's what we're going to be directed towards next week. I, I know each chapter has been kind of firmly correcting next, next week. I mean, there's an inference correcting next week, but next week is very positive. It's the nature of love. Spoiler alert, the nature of love. What is the good news involved here? We talked about the good news with the kids, but what's the good news with respect to spiritual gifts? The good news is that there are no special super-Christians. Those of us who are in Christ are all of equal worth and value. And it doesn't matter what our function is. It matters that we fulfill our function gladly. Did God make mistakes when he made you? No. Does God make mistakes in the way he arranges this body? No. For my part as a pastor, I said this at the beginning. I'm going to come back around to this now. My job is not to be all the things needed in this community. And to be fair, nobody's telling me, oh, you have to do this and you have to do this. But it's just easier for me to step in and do this and do this. And my job as a pastor sometimes is to sit down and shut up and let others lead. There are some of you in here who at different times the Lord has caused you to think, you know, I could probably pray for the assembly and be really good at that. Nothing against Jeffrey, but I think I could do a good job. Or some people might even think, something against Jeffrey. I think he's doing a bad job. I could do better, in which case I am not offended. I would like for you to step up and, and do that. Others of you might enjoy leading music. Some of you might want to get up and present on the persecuted church. I didn't even pray for the Eritreans a minute ago. God, forgive me. Lord, we lift up the Eritrean believers to you. 
They are what make the faith real when they suffer in ways that none of us have ever comprehended. Lord, free them, comfort them, save them, hear them. Hear our prayer, Father. There are ways that each of you, every single one of you, is called to serve. Not because it feels good to you. In fact, that's irrelevant, isn't it? You are called to serve in ways that build up the body. And here's a metaphor I want to leave you with. When you look at how gravity works, it's mass plus rotation, right? If, if you don't know that, pretend I'm right. But this is how our, our planet works. It has mass and then it spins around and that's what creates this, this magnetic field that holds us down and holds the moon out where it is. And that's what a church is like. A church, if it's just mass and it's not spinning, does not produce any gravity. Why would anyone come to join it? What would it bring to itself? But if a church is full of members serving one another, building one another up, it creates this rotation that starts to produce gravity and it becomes an attractive force. Is it centripetal or centrifugal force that when you spin brings things inward? Come on, David, you know these things. Which is it? Centrifugal force brings things inward. That's how a church operates. But the only way that it operates is if we're actually doing it. So I need to do less. You need to do more. But I can't tell you what it is. That's not my spiritual gifting. And there are some churches that do that and they go, oh, okay, we have a spiritual gifts test. Here, fill it out. And I think that's so silly, guys. I don't think a paper test can tell you what your spiritual gift is. I think the Holy Spirit tells you. So you need to listen. You need to pray for discernment. You need to pray for God's guidance. And then when you're given an answer, you need to listen and do it. You need to obey. The good news is God gives gifts to his children. And he gives you a family to gift with these gifts. May we be so blessed as to use our gifts for God's glory and our benefit. Amen.